Good evening, everyone. Today's year is sponsored the Ili Nishmas Michla Leah Bas Tevia Yitzchak. And Rishama should have an Aliyah. So today, Mirza Shem, we are going to conclude Periklamid Bays. So the Altarebbe begins the Perik by saying that uh, through that which we discussed earlier in chapter 31 so this is Aderech Yeshara Vekala this is a, a, the, the straight and the simple way to come to fulfill the mitzvah of loving every other every other yid like you love yourself from big to small. When we say that we love every Jew from big to small, we're not talking about physical size. And we're also not talking about age. We don't mean a Godel is someone who's very old, and Katan means someone who's very young, because that's irrelevant. Why should uh, that play a role? But obviously, Lemigadel Vat Katan is talking about in terms of spiritual stature. That we that um, through through utilizing the principles that Alter Rebbe lays out earlier on in the in chapter thirty one, um, we can come to love every single yid. Why? Because if the if a person prioritizes his or her neshama, and on a soul level we are all one, so therefore we love every yid regardless of their uh, their spiritual status, their spiritual level, because every single yid possesses a neshama. So therefore, living a life which identifies with and prioritizes the neshama is the way to come to love every single yid, l'migadil vadkatan, from big to small. But now we are going to present what seems to be a, a stira, a contradiction, to this principle. And we're going to do inside, page memalaf, which is opposite of page 80, two lines from the bottom. That which it says in the Gemara, Mesathus Psachim, Shemishereya Bechaveri Shachata, that if someone sees his fellow has done an Avera, has sinned, Mitzvah Lishnaisai, there's a Mitzvah to despise, to hate the, that person. Moreover, that's not enough. Vigam also, if a person sees his fellow doing an Avera, he is obligated to tell his teacher that he should despise him and hate him also. Imagine that. You see your fellow doing an Avera. So that you're obligated to hate your fellow. And that's not enough. You have to go over to your uh, mutual teacher and say, Rabbi, I have news for you. You might perhaps not be, not, uh, be hating this uh, student. I need to tell you that you need to hate the student because he did Navera. So uh, I'm here to facilitate you doing the mitzvah of hating this person. In case you weren't aware, I want you to know he did this Navera, so now you can join me in hating this person. Okay, let's uh, let's analyze this whole uh, the whole Gemara and by the time we finish we'll probably things will be clearer. So, obviously, this is a contradiction, or it was at least a seeming contradiction to that which we learned earlier. We learned earlier that we have Avas Yisrael, Lemikotin Vad Gadol, to every single Jew from small to big, and obviously someone who has done an Avera is a Katan, is someone who's spiritually on a, on a low level. But still we have to have Avas Yisrael to, um, towards that person. But over here we're talking about the mitzvah that if you, the obligation that if you see someone has sinned, then you have to hate that person, you have to despise that person. So the first thing that we have to uh, just, um, I guess, talk about for a moment is this idea of hate. You know, in today's world, that's a very, uh, with it. it's a very un-PC, it's not very politically correct to talk about hating another person who has done an Avera. After all, we're supposed to love everybody. We live in a world where we try to, uh, you know, we don't want to hate. Hate is considered to be something which is uh, a negative emotion. 
And we have to understand that that's not a Torah view. If you don't hate anything, you don't love anything. Does that mean hate's the opposite of love? Is that clear? If you have someone who is near and dear to you, let's say, who you love very much, and there is a person who's trying to destroy that person, you're going to hate that person. How much are you going to hate that person? It depends how much you love the, the other person. The more you love the person, the more you're going to hate the other person. And if you're like, ah, I'm not going to hate that person, what that really tells you is, is that you don't love. In other words, if you don't hate person B, that means you don't love person A. When something is important to you, when something is really important to you, when you have strong feelings towards something, so anything that gets in the way of that thing you hate. If you don't hate, that means you don't love. Everyone over here hates certain things, but it, your hatred will depend on what's important to you. Whatever is important to you. you know, so someone, for example, is a, is a serial, serial murderer, and you say, well, I don't hate that person. That's, you know, I'm gonna love that person. That's not a virtue, it's not a, that's not something which is a positive thing. That's not a positive quality. To the contrary, hatred, again, we're not talking here about, obviously, about indiscriminate hatred. We're not talking here about uh, a person who is a hateful person. But ultimately, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. once said a similar idea. He said, I had a dream. He had a dream, that's true. And he, he once said a line, I was trying to remember the words, something, he says, if you have nothing what you would die for, then, you, then you're not living for anything. Those aren't his exact words. Everyone has to have something that they would die for because that shows how strongly you're passionate about that thing. If you, there's nothing that you would die for, that means you have no, you have no passion. You're not... Uh, Sorry? You're not living for anything, right? That might have been his, I don't remember exact words. He said it in a more eloquent way than I said it. And the same things in terms of hate. So the question isn't if we hate. Everyone hates. Everyone hates. The question is what we hate. And it's not only about people, it's also about things. Someone says, uh, cancer? I don't hate cancer. <laughs> that means that you don't care about life. That means you don't love life. For a yin, an avera, anything that goes against the will of Hashem is something which is uh, reprehensible and repulsive. And if you don't hate an avera, and perhaps even to a certain extent, as we'll see, if you don't hate a person who does an avera, that means you don't really value the mitzvah. That means you're not really valuing Hashem. If you realize the harm that a person does when the person is doing an avera, and you realize how terrible that act is, then... Uh, you know, that's, um, a lot of people are willing to brush things under the, uh, under the rug. It's not a big deal because it's not a big deal. But if it is a big deal, if a mitzvah is a big deal, and if going against Hashem's will is a big deal, then it is perfectly normal that a person who goes against that is something which would be a subject of my intense negative emotions and negative feelings. But before you hate, you hate someone, you have to have a and if he doesn't listen, then you can hit it. Page 82. So that which the Gemara says, that someone who has sinned. If you see someone who has sinned, you have to mitzvah l'sna, you say this mitzvah to hate him, What is this talking about? So the first thing is we have to qualify who is this person. Identify who is this person who there's a mitzvah to hate. Hainum. This is talking about someone who is your equal. Your equal on Torah mitzvahs. Moreover, you've already rebuked him. The mitzvah of rebuking applies only to someone who is on your level on Torah mitzvahs. And you try to influence that person to change his ways. And still the person has not done tshuva. 
as it says in Sefer Charedim. In Sefer Charedim it says that the mitzvah of Echiach applies only to someone who is on your level on Torah mitzvahs, not someone who is beneath your level. How about somebody above your level? Sorry? How about somebody above your level? Person. I'm sorry, I, I, one second, let me correct myself. Sorry, sorry. The fact that Echiach Echiach is someone on your level that's not in Sefer Charedim, that's a ton of and it's brought down the Medrash Al Shemaini. The Sefer Charedim says that, that when the Gemara says, when the Gemara says that um, that that if someone sees um, that his fellow has sinned, you're supposed to hate them. That's only applies to someone whom you have rebuked. That's what it says in Sefer Charedim, as uh, as, as Sasson said. But the mitzvah of rebuke only applies to someone who's on your level. So that means. That when it says that you're supposed to hate someone who has done Navera, that applies only to someone who was on your level, or also above your level. Why? Because something that is a concept that we encountered earlier in Peter Klamadalov in chapter 31, the Gemara says that it's an ignorant person when they when they do a sin, so it's as if so it's mm-hmm. that their sins, even if they're done intentional. So it's considered as if it's a shgaga, it's by mistake. In other words, someone who was on a lower level than you, if you see that person doing an Aveda, the proper emotion to be evoked is one of compassion, is one of mercy. We can't judge that person. The person doesn't have the spiritual level, doesn't have the Torah study, doesn't have the knowledge, doesn't have the inspiration. So therefore, the proper, in other words, the sin is a very, is a big tragedy. The fact that a person has done something wrong is a terrible thing. But I can't fault that person because that person just doesn't understand. It's like a like a tinik shenishma. So therefore, the first thing we have to know is that when a person, when the Gemara says that if someone has sinned, it's a mitzvah to hate that person. We're talking about someone who's on your level or higher because the same logic would apply. But it's not talking about someone who is on a level who is beneath you. What if someone is not on your level? He's not your fellow. So what is the proper reaction and emotions to have towards such a person? Regarding such a person, said, You should be a student of Aaron, someone who loves peace, someone who loves the creatures and brings them close to Torah. This means to tell us, even those who are distant from Torah and from service of Hashem, and therefore, the Mishnah refers to them as Briyas, creations, creatures. That's what it says. That you should be from the, of the students of Aaron, someone who loves the creatures, which is an interesting word to use. Why would you use the word creatures here? <coughs> but it's talking about people who are distant from Hashem. And therefore, they're called creatures. Why? Because that's the only merit that they have. The only redeeming quality that they have is that they were created by Hashem. So such people, tzadach lemashchan, we have to pull them with thick ropes of love. And perhaps, perhaps these people can be um, pulled and brought closer to Torah and to the service of Hashem. The opposite of hate, what you said in the beginning. If you're doing this, it's exactly the opposite. So again, that which it said earlier that you have to hate, that's talking about your colleagues, someone who's on your level. How about the people who are beneath your level? So over there, not only isn't there a mitzvah to hate them, but the, in Pirkeyavis it's very clear that these are people who are on a very low level. What is supposed to be our attitude towards them? Compassion. Compassion. We have to love them. Bring them close to Torah. It has to be done with love. So this is very clear. 
that the way of Aaron was that even people, actually the Na'avis the Rabnasan that says that how, how, how was Aaron, how was he Mekar of people to Torah? And says that an Aaron, you can imagine, this is Aaron, <coughs> the Kayin Gadol. And with all uh, how holy he was and how he could have spent his time, you know, studying Torah and davening. But what was his, what was his, what was his primary passion? Oyev Shalom, he loved peace. Vered of Shalom, he pursued peace, which is a much, you know, a lot of us love peace. But if two people are fighting over there, that's their problem. I, I personally, I'm a lover of peace. Raid of Shalom means it's my business. I'm, pasha, I, I'm busy pursuing people to make peace. And then it says, He loved even the creatures, even those people who are so low that they're only, again, their only redeeming quality is that they were created by Hashem. Who may carve on the Torah and bring them close to Torah. How would he bring them closer to Torah? So again, the Abbas Reb said, when he, find out, when he would find out that someone did an Avera, someone sinned, what would he do? He would make a point, he would make it a point that uh, to go and walk in the street, I don't know whether in front of the person's house, but make sure to bump into that person. Now what do you think he did when he'd bump into that person? He didn't do anything. All he did was, he went, oh, Shalom Aleichem, long time no see. How are you doing? What's going on? And that's it. And he, conversation ended, he walked away. And when the person, when Aaron left, the person would say to myself, would say to himself, oh my gosh, the big tzaddik Aaron, he's my friend. He's coming to say hello to me. I have to shape up. If I have a friend like Aaron, I have to shape up. And that's another, Aaron, he was Makar of Yidin simply through kindness and through, uh, through pleasantness. <coughs> and that is the path that we have to take for those people who are beneath us in Torah and Mitzvahs. To a compassion, realizing that uh, it's a Rahmanis. It's a pity they don't have the education, they don't have the experience, and our job is only is to um, our job only is to try to bring them, to try is to love them unconditionally, and try to bring them closer to Yiddishkeit, closer to Torah. Well, let's say you they're not compliant afterwards. You, you teach them uh, certain, like you know, uh, to certain mitzvahs to do, and they still not. So what was, then do you change your... Uh, Vehein loy inside, and if... Oh, that's what I just loy, and even if you weren't mikar of them to Torah, even if you didn't bring them closer to Torah, loy hivsit schar mitzvahs avas reim, the mitzvah avas Yisrael, you didn't lose out. The mitzvah of avas Yisrael, you did it, you did it. And the mitzvah of avas Yisrael applies to every single yid. Applies to every single yid. But this is a very important point, and the Rebbe points out something very interesting in one of the Rebbe's letters. The words vehein loy are somewhat peculiar. It's a taken from a pasuk in, in Eiv, but it's not, the, it's not usual wording. Usually you would say va'afilu loy, and even if not, or va'af loy, loy you still did not lose out on the mitzvah of Avas Yisrael. But what is the word vehein loy? So the Rebbe says the word vehein loy is like when you say hein, hein like this or hein like that, weather like this or weather like that, sayazoy, sayazoy. It makes no difference. Whether or not you're whether or not you're of a person or not is irrelevant to your Avas Yisrael. Yeah, obviously there is also a goal. That the person should uh, be Mikhail Mitzvah. Why? Because since you love that person so much, you want what's best for that person. And what's best for that person is to study Torah and do Mitzvah. But it's not contingent. It's not, you say, well, I'm going to be Mikhail of the person, and my goal of being Mikhail of that person is to bring him, I'm going to love that person, and my purpose and my love is to bring them to Torah and Mitzvah. And even if I didn't accomplish the goal of bringing him closer to Torah and Mitzvah, I still have the mitzvah of Yisrael. No. That would be va'afiluloi. Heinloi means I, my love is unconditional. Why do I love that person? Because he's a yid. And because he has a neshama. And because I have a neshama. And we're one. And yes, I have a goal also of being mekar of him, of bringing him closer to Torah mitzvahs. But at the end of the day, what am I doing? I'm doing, the, the Avas Yisrael is unconditional. How do you express how do you express Havas Yisrael 
with your peers, with with uh, with the person on the, on the first category that's at the same level. Uh, uh, hatred. Every two minutes, you keep on asking about what we're going to learn about in a second. How do that? Yeah, <laughs> relax. <laughs> You prepare beforehand just to torpedo what I'm saying, right? Well, to no, no, to no, preempt no, me. No, no. I, I just review what you did last week. Right. I didn't look anything of it. I, 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 I was kidding. I wasn't chosh at you. <laughs> he is in the higher level. <laughs> I mean, if you hate someone, that might be a. We're, we're getting there. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. <laughs> Today, as everyone knows, and this is something which isn't exactly new, it's not a new phenomenon, but it's definitely something which um, people are becoming very aware of, and it's something which is unfortunately quite common, is that you have families, from families, and you have children who go what is commonly termed today as off the derech. And a lot of times, that's a wake-up call for the parents and they realize they have to start treating their child a little differently and a lot of times they pick up the level of, uh, of love and care and concern for the child but at the same time a lot of times that love is conditional meaning to say there is a there's a stated goal there's a reason why am I showering my child not with love because I'm hoping that uh, if I do so, then the child will come back. Will come back and will start once again, you know, keeping a lifestyle of Torah and mitzvahs. And that's not that's not correct. Of course, the parents have to want that the child should uh, should uh, should you know learn Torah and do mitzvahs because that's for the child's benefit. But love for a child is never there's there's no it's not contingent contingent about anything. Why, why, why do I give my child money when he or she needs it? Why, why do I help them out? Why, am I, why is my home always open for them? Because they're my child. There is no reason for it. And if there is a reason, it's a problem. And it's a problem also because it happens to torpedo the goal. In other words, when the, if the child feels that... that, that that that's the ultimate goal that, that is an impediment for the child actually to, uh, to re-embrace. But that's not the point, because that's like circular logic. In other words, I mean, why shouldn't I have a goal? Because it'll torpedo my goal. But if I don't have any goal, if I give it unconditionally, then no, that's not the point. There's two separate things. Number one is we love every single yid. Whether it's my child, whether it's my brother, whether it's my sister, whether it's my cousin, whether it's the yid down the block, I love every single yid. That's number one. And that's not contingent upon anything. Period. Why do I love them? Because they're yid. I, they're doing averis. It's Rahmanus on them, they're doing averis. Number two, because I love him, so just like I love him and therefore I help him when he's needed and when he needs to someone to take, take him somewhere, at the same time, because I love him also, I try to get him closer to Tehran Yiddishkeit in whichever way possible, sometimes overtly and sometimes in subtle ways. But it's not that I love him because of that. It's not I love him because I want him to get Tehran Mitzvahs. It's the opposite. I want him to do Tehran Mitzvahs because I love them. So the love is what comes first. And because I love, and because I care, and because, because I know that what's best for him or for her is... It's Torah mitzvahs. So that's why I encourage them that also. And I think that <clears throat> perhaps it comes from a certain... Is it about me or is it about my child? Is it about me and my reputation? And, uh, you know, I want that my child should be from because uh, otherwise, you know, people are saying my child isn't from. In which case, your goal becomes that. But if it stops being about you, and it's true love, and true care, and true concern, then that love and that concern is automatically is unconditional. So the first thing that we have over here, again, we brought down the, the Gemara and Pesachim that says that if you see your fellow has sinned, you should hate that person. Number one, that's only a person who's on your level, or higher. Someone on a lower level on you, to them, the... Um, the proper emotions, the proper course of action 
is, as Dr. Rebbe says, l'moshchan v'chevle avoyses ava, to try to pull them with thick ropes of love, of real love, of true love, of unconditional love, and also to be mekar of them to Torah. The Talmudim of Rabbi Akiva, they were all high level. So Let, Let's leave them for another time. We have a lot to cover. I want to finish the period today. If we have time, we'll get back to that. Vegam and also Hamukurav may love. Now let's go back to what the Gemara says. How about those Taka who are close to me and they are on my level? And I try to influence them to change their ways. And they refuse to change their ways. Which them, Shem Mitzvah some such people, as the Gemara says very clearly, there's a mitzvah to hate them. Says the Alter Rebbe, Mitzvah Le'avam Gamkin. You also have to love them. At the same time, you have to love them. How do you express that? So again, the people who are on a lower level than me, there's no mitzvah to hate them at all. To them, I have Rachmanus and I love them. Someone who's on my level, that the Gemara says, Mitzvah Lishnoisoi. There's a mitzvah to despise them. That doesn't change the fact that I have a mitzvah to love them also. And as Rebbe points out, Something fascinating. The Gemara in Sanhedrin talks about different cases about someone who was uh, guilty of capital, a capital offense, and he's put to death by Bezdin. So how was he put to death? Uh, different questions like this or like that. So the Gemara says, very good. The Gemara says, misa yafa. You have to choose. The most compassionate type of death, in other words, the one that's uh, as painless as possible. Why? Because the Torah says, you have to love your fellow like you love yourself. Think into that. Here is a person who has committed a capital, pun, a capital crime. He's being put to death. And if that, which means that with, after all the deliberations and after everything, Baslan couldn't find anything to exonerate him, absolutely guilty beyond any shadow of a doubt. There is no limut schus on this person. And even so, the pasuk v'ahavta applies to this person also. Which teaches us that even the person who has done an Avera, and even the person who you've rebuked him and he hasn't, uh, he hasn't changed his ways, the mitzvah of Yisrael still applies. I, the Gemara says, mitzvah that it's a mitzvah to hate him, that's also true. How is it possible to both love and hate at the same time? Both are true. Sinah, on the one side, there is hatred, because of the evil that's within them. But at the same time, the love because of the goodness that is hidden within them. That's a reference to the divine spark that's within them. That divine spark, which gives life to the nefesh alekis. So that's number one. We are um, complicated people. You ever heard the expression love-hate relationship? So this is here where we have, in Tanya, we have a love-hate relationship. There are certain Yidin with whom we have a love-hate relationship, but not love-hate relationship as in usually love-hate relationship means I love the person today and I hate the person tomorrow and then once again the wheel, the wheel spins. But love-hate relationship means at the very same time, at the very same moment, I have to realize that the person is not completely bad and the person is not completely good. That's what we tend to do a lot of times. We have a paintbrush, and we're blacker, black and white. Is this person bad? Is this person good? And we have to understand that Bayid, it's not that way. It's not black or white, it's black and white. On the one side, there is Taka, the hatred for the evil side and part of him, the Nefesh Bahamas. But at the same time, the person has an Neshama, and because of the Neshama, I love the person also. And moreover, in addition to the fact that I have both hatred and love for the person, moreover, we should awaken 
compassion in our heart, Aleha, on the nefesh alikis. Because the nefesh alikis is an exile. Within the evil, Mesitra Achra Hagaver Aleha, which is overpowering it, Bereshoim. And Varachmanus Mivatelas Hasina, the compassion overcomes and overwhelms the hatred, Umaydaras Haava, and awakens the love, Kinaidam and Mashakasu, as the Pasuk says, Liyakov Asharpada Savram. The Navi says, I don't remember. The second which Navi it is, but it's a Pasuk that says, Koi Amar Hashem Lebeis Yaakov Asher Pada Es Avram. This is what Hashem said to the house of Jacob, the house of Yaakov. Asher, what? Yeshaya. Yeshaya, okay. Asher Pada Es Avram, who, um, who has redeemed Avram. So, in the simple Pshat of the Pasuk is, Koi Amar Hashem. This is what Hashem said, and you have to like switch around the next words. Koyamar Hashem, Asher Padas Avram, the Hashem who redeemed Avram, Lebeis Yaakov, he's talking to the house of Yaakov. But the wording of the Pasuk is Koyamar Hashem, Lebeis Yaakov, Asher Padas Avram. It sounds like Le Yaakov, Asher Padas Avram. It sounds like Yaakov who redeemed Avram. And I'll pick Kabbalah that's not correct. Avram represents the idea of Chesed and Ava. Chesed and love, kindness and love. And sometimes, our kindness and love is in captivity. It's hidden. It can't express itself. How do we reveal the love? Liyakov, through the Midah of Yaakov, which you know that Yaakov represents the, the Midah of Rachamim. Midah of Rachamim. So when I look at another Yid, and there is that mixture of both love and hatred, and perhaps those two could be even, even, and they can be equal and balanced. So what, how am I actually going to feel and, about the person? How am I actually going to relate to that person? Here we have the Rachmim that comes into play. That when I think about the incredible Golos of the Nefesh Alekis. And how this person's Neshama is pushed in captivity. In, this, in the filth and in the, in, the, in the Ra, the evil of the Nefesh Bahamis that fills me up with compassion and the compassion awakens my love for the person so that all together I comport myself um, to this person with love as opposed to uh, with hate. Even though I have both, but I'm leaning towards the love due to the achmanas, the compassion that I have for the person. To the extent that the altar says there is Mabachel Right. Could you elaborate more on if somebody you're asking a very good question you say how am I, who am I to judge whether a person is higher than me or lower than me and um, it's very difficult, and that's why it's almost impossible. This idea of hating another is almost impossible. Because you might have the same chesronis like that. But what, and what's the reasoning behind, because it's automatic shagit as far as you're concerned? If the person's on a lower level than me. And usually if he's doing averus, that is the case. In other words, it's very, very weird that we should have to um, have this... Um, this mixture of love and, uh, and and hatred for most people, the hatred doesn't exist. It's compassion in the first place, and we try to be mekar of them. Just um, this is the kind of topic. Obviously, so we need a, a few stories to bring out the, yeah, the idea. Know. Sure. Uh, what's uh, how you express yourself for, for, to a not is totally. Uh, That's the next piece in Tanya. You're doing it again. What is the reason? Sorry. What is the reason? Somebody's on a lower level. What is the reason? Why does it go that way? Because it's Rahmanis in that person. As we said earlier in the Periklam Adalif, that Amur Razal al Ami Arish is doing Nasulam Kishgagis. It's by mistake. They don't realize. They, they don't have no clue what they're doing. They don't get the import of what they're doing. Relative to you, it's a shaygig. But if they would be on understanding at a little higher level, they wouldn't be doing it. 
interestingly over here, in, in terms about, you're talking about if there's the love and there's the hate, and the Rachmanus is what really brings the love to the fore. What is the reason for the Rachmanus? The reason for the Rachmanus is the Rachmanus because you have Rachmanus on the godly soul that's in that, in that dirt, in that filth. Which actually leads you to an ironic point, which is that the greater the filth, the greater the Rachmanus. The more Averus a person does, he, this is so, uh, I don't know if the word is counterintuitive, but it's Paradoxical. paradoxically, right? The more Averus a person does, the bigger the Rachmanus, the greater the love. But it has to be with truth. So two stories. Story number one. When Ab, um, before Reb Shlom of Kalim, before he passed away, so he instructed his students. He said that uh, after he passes away, he wants them to go to a tzaddik. His name is Mordechai of Neshchiz, and uh, accept him as the as the Rebbe, as the new Rebbe. Shortly after Reb Shlom had passed away, so came to town to Karlin, came one of his one of his chassidim, whose name was Reb Uri of Stralisk, also known as the Saraf. And uh, he asked around if there was if, if the Rebbe left any instructions, and he was told that the Rebbe told him that said that people should go to uh, this Reb Mordechai. So he went up to Reb Mordechai, and he walked into the to the base medrash or to the home of Reb Mordechai. And Amardachai was in his room. And he was receiving people, for Yechidus, receiving people. And Raburi is standing there waiting, and he sees Amardachai walking out of his room. And he walks over to the next person who was about to enter the room, he was a businessman. And he warmly greeted him, and he was ushering him into his room. And Rabbi Uri saw on that person that he had just committed a very big Avera. Rabbi Uri was a big tzaddik in his own right. And he immediately was filled with uh, disgust and revulsion. And he didn't understand why, why Rabbi Mardachai is uh, according this person such honor and giving him, you know, being so warm to him. And Rabbi Mardachai, who immediately sensed what Raburi was thinking, walked over to Raburi and says, get out of here. I don't need, I don't, I don't need these kinds of thoughts in my... Uh, <laughs> I don't need these kind of thoughts over here. So he went off, so, so Raburi went off, and he went and sat in a, in a base madrash over there. And as soon as Rab Mardachai finished with this person, he went over, he, went, he, he, he left, and he found the base madrash where Raburi was, and he went over to him and he said, he says, whatever you know, I know also about this person. But the reason why that your Rebbe, Reb Shloyme, why he sent you to come over here is because you have to know that you have to have love for every single Yid. Even someone like that who has done a video like that in an unconditional way. And when you have an unconditional love, that's Taka also the way that you bring him closer to Tehra And at that point, Reb Uri understood why he was sent over there. That's one story. Another story was retold by elderly um, he passed away a few years ago in his 90s. His name was uh, Rabbi Edelman and he was a um, he was a shliach in Massachusetts. <coughs> and he was around in the 1940s in, uh, in Lubavitch and Crown Heights. This is still in the lifetime of the, of the Friedrich Rebbe, of the previous Rebbe. And he said that one day he was he walked into 770, he walked out of 770, he was walking around, and the Rebbe came over to him. The, in other words, no, not the Friedrich Our Rebbe, the son-in-law of the Friedrich Rebbe, and says, you want to hear something? I have to tell you something that just happened. He says, for the longest time, for the longest time, there have been some chassidim who have been complaining to me that I deal too kindly, and I'm too nice to people who aren't Shemer Teirah Mitzvahs. 
And that's not the way of the Torah. We have to ostracize these people. And uh, they're Rishoyim, and I shouldn't be dealing with them, and I certainly shouldn't be kind and nice to them. And I was somewhat conflicted about this. So I decided to go and ask my father-in-law whether my way was correct, my way in dealing with these people was correct or is incorrect. <coughs> so I, 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 I'm just coming now from my father-in-law. And here's what my, when, I, when I presented my dilemma to my father-in-law, the Rebbe, this is what he told me. He said that as we all know, that the love of a parent to a child is unbegrenetzt, unlimited, infinite. There's nothing that a parent wouldn't do for a child. At the same time, if parents have a child who has special needs or some sort of illness, some sort of physical, emotional or mental lack, then the, the parents love that child even more. Says the Rebbe, but how is that possible? If we said that the love of a parent to every child is unlimited, how can you have more than that? He said, that's a, that's a great question, but that's the fact. That there's, there's unlimited, there's infinite, and then there's even more than that. The Rebbe continued. Every single Yid, every single Jew is a child of Hashem. And therefore, Hashem has an unlimited, infinite love for every single Yid. However, some Yidin are handicapped. And, so, and sometimes the handicap is a spiritual handicap. And for such people, the love that Hashem has for them is even more than that. Nice. It's even more, it's even greater than that. Than the love for the, for, 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 for the regular. Which is infinite. Which is infinite. And the Fidegrabe says, keep up with your way. You have to love every single yid, and certain yid who are handicapped, they need our love more. You need our love even more. Um, and again, in an unconditional way. An unconditional way. How about Taka? As you mentioned, what about the Apikursim? Let's do one side. When David HaMelech says in Tehillim, Tachlis Sinas Sinesim, the Goimer, David HaMelech says, I have the ultimate hatred for these people. The passage before and says, Haloi misanecha Hashem esna. David says to Hashem, those who hate you and despise you, I hate them also. Tachlis Sinas Sinesim. I have absolute hatred for them. Allah, this is only referring to Al-Haminim V'Apikursim. This is referring to the Apikursim, She'ein la'am chaylak belakei Yisrael, who have no portion in the God of Israel, Kedisa B'Gemara, and it says in the Gemara, Reish Perek Tazayin the Shabbos, the beginning of the 16th chapter of Mesech the Shabbos. So we need to clarify a few things over here. First of all, just give you a little context. Who are the Minim and Apikursim that the Gemara is discussing in the in chapter 16 of Mesech the Shabbos? The Gemara over there is talking about the original Christians. Jewish Christians. The apostates. The original Christians, right, who were Jews? Sorry? The apostates. This was a, this happened. The, the, the Gemara talks about a conversation. I think between Rabbi and Rabbi Kiva. So we're talking about we're talking about in the end of the first century of the Common Era, or uh, the beginning of the or the very beginning of the second century of the Common Era. Um, and these people were the biggest problem with these people was is that they take considered themselves full-fledged Jews. 
and they wanted to be considered as Jews. They didn't view themselves as something different. They viewed themselves as Eden. They had a few heretical beliefs, and they uh, they mocked certain um, teachings of Chazal. But these were people who were very, very, very dangerous to Klal Yisrael. Number one and number two, they did they, they they acted maliciously. In other words, they knew what they were doing. They knew exactly what they were rejecting in terms of the words of Chazal. And um, very dangerous because uh, once they started identifying as a different religion, they they lost their attraction. No one, uh, they didn't stop uh, falling for it because they identified themselves as a different religion. As long as they identified themselves as Yidin, that's when they were really uh, a very, very serious issue. So you have, sorry? <coughs> And who runs it? Jews. Yidin. One second. Uh, how much Gemara do these Yidin know? How much Tanya did they learn? Zero. So, so these aren't Apikursim. They can't be Apikursim. They uh, Apikurus is a Madrega. You have to be a Tamachachon to be an Apikurus. You can't. You have to. You you have to know what you're rejecting in order to reject it. Again, these people are. It's Rachmanus on them. And Apikursim, Apikursim, we're talking about these are people who, uh, and that's what we have to understand. That most people today, you know, in other words, if you look at the technical definition of a Min Apikursim, someone doesn't believe the term in a Shemaim, you could say that 80 90% of Klaal Yisrael, you know, are, you know that, that's the belief that they would profess. But that's coming from a place of total ignorance, and that, that definitely doesn't apply to them. So the first thing we have to understand is we're talking about a Min Apikursim, we have to talk about someone who had a chance, who went to Yeshiva. Who knows what he's rejecting? That is that is number one. Mm. That's the pasuk Right. That's exactly. That's number one. Number two. The Rebbe points out also. We know that every word of the Alter Rebbe is precise. Why does the Alter Rebbe begin by saying What's make a difference? Who said it? Every time the Al-Tarebbe brings down a Pasuk, does he say who said it? We just had another Pasuk. The Yaakov Shepard does Avram, right? I told you, I forgot where we came from. So uh, I was told it's Yeshaya. The Al-Tarebbe doesn't write Kamei Shomer Yeshaya. Why does he have to say about Kamei Shomer Davidah Malak? Because you just said, Umashikasuf Tachlis Sinasinasim. And that which it says, Tachlis Sinasinasim, that applies to Apikursim. Why is Davidah Malak relevant over here? Again, the Tani is full of Pasukim. And we don't, uh, we don't bring down every single time who said that Pasuk. Even further earlier, right? right? Um, okay, that Taki does say Hilazakin. Okay, maybe he's instructive about uh, about where it comes from. But Tanya is full of Sukim, which it doesn't say where it comes from. <clears throat> so the Rebbe explains that David Amalach over here is also instructive in terms of who is the one who is the, as they would say in today, the judge, jury, and executioner. That's David Amalach. He's the king, the one who's in charge, the one who has to take care of the whole community and has to make the decisions who's safe and who's dangerous. But for the, for, for the rest of us, are we really to know who's an apicarius, who's not an apicarius, who exactly fits that, level, that, 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 that description? That's something which is best left for the David Hamalachs, for the people who are in the position of authority. It's not necessarily something which every single person has to start making those. Um, you know, those uh, distinctions, yeah. But here's what's very interesting. We, the the period begins with this idea that you have to love every single Yid. Why? Because every Yid has an Ashama. And because every single Yid has an Ashama, therefore, and our Ashamas are all one, so if I have an Ashama perspective, I love every single Yid. And Apikiris isn't a Yid. Apikiris is a Yid. Can Apikarius be counted for a minion? Yeah, I'm not sure. Actually, it's a halach question. I'm not sure. But one thing's for sure: if Apikarius is Mekadash a woman, Mekadash. she's Mekadash. She needs a get. Definitely has a din of a yid. So why don't you have to love an Apikarius? Oh, okay. We said before it would be both, but here we don't know. Saying there's no love. Yeah, right. Uh -huh. What's the reason? Now, if we're following the logic beforehand, 
So the Alter Rebbe really answers that. What does he answer? He says, She'ein lahem chelak belikei Yisrael. That's the, that's the logic. That's the rationale. They're cut off from their neshama. As we all know that the neshama has many levels. And their neshama does not express itself in a conscious way in their bodies. In their everyday behavior, the neshama is not manifest, it doesn't express itself. They have a neshama, but the neshama is completely recessed. What's the word I'm looking for? Not recessed. Uh, what? Suppressed. Repressed. Right? Don't we all know people like that? Hold that, hold that thought for a second. So, when you look at that person, what are you going to love? The neshama? But that's not the person. The person is not a vehicle for his neshama currently. Yes, the neshama still exists, and so the big Rahman is on the neshama. But the person who I am talking to right now, the person who I'm dealing with, that person isn't at all being a vehicle for the neshama. There's nothing about this person to love. That's what it means. Excuse me. That's what it means. Yes, they have a neshama. But that's, that's abstract. It's not, uh, it's not the person that I'm interacting with. What's fascinating about that is, that means that when, before, before this little piece, when we talk about all the Yidin that you have to love, including those Yidin of Dana Vejas, including anyone who's not in this category of Minim Vapikursim Sheinlam Chelek Belikei Yisrael, why do I have to love them? It's not only because they have an neshama, because if that was the reason, then I'd have to love that pikeris also. My love for that person is more than that. My love for the person is because he has an neshama and he expresses that neshama. I would think that the greater, that when it's hidden, which in lots of people their neshama is hidden, so that's when you have to love it because it brings it out. No, so then you have the rachmanus on the neshama. Yeah. But this person, I despise the person, the person in front of me. The personality in front of me, I despise because there's nothing redeeming in this person. The neshama, which is so deeply hidden, I rachmanasan the neshama. But this is instructive regarding all the other people. Anyone who's not in this category of minim not it doesn't only mean that I have to love that person. It means that why do I love that person? Because he has a neshama that is expressed. How is it expressing itself? And if you don't see that, that's your problem. In other words, what we're saying over here is that every single Yid, with, with, with very few small exceptions that we're talking about over here, not only has a neshama, but the selfless, godly nature of the neshama actually expresses itself in the person's behavior, and the person's thoughts, and the person's... And if you don't see that, you have to dig and find more. But that's, very, that, that's a very interesting idea, that a Yid not only has a neshama, but he expresses the neshama. When you say that someone has a chimlik belakei Yisrael, it doesn't only mean he has a neshama, because Napikeris also has a neshama. But it means that the neshama impacts the person, actually impacts the person. I guess we never see this example of this, this type of, we just don't, never, never seen it. You have to look for it. There's the famous. No, this one, the, op, the one where the. Apikeris. Yeah. I guess we have, we have no example. So we don't there have There's no example. Sorry? Whether today there exists an Apikeris or not, if there are, there are very few of them. It's not uh, If there be a yeah. What about, that, what about an atheist? You don't believe in God. Okay, did, did, did he ever learn Gemara? Did he ever learn Chumash? Did he ever learn Tanya? That he's, that he's not an atheist, he's ignorant. It's a minimum criteria. Anyways, before we go, I want to talk a little about this Shabbos is Chafav, the, the yard set of the Rebbe's father. <coughs> Rebbe's father passed away on, um, <coughs> on Chafav in the year of 1944, Rebbe's father was the chief Rav of the city of Yekaterinoslav in Ukraine. Today the city is called uh, Dnieper Petrovsk, or actually I think they just changed the name again to Dnieper, Dniepro. And the Rebbe's, the Rebbe's father was an incredible chassid, 
and a goin and a mekubal, a very very big mekubal. And in nineteen in nineteen nineteen forty, no, sorry, in nineteen thirty nine. Nineteen thirty nine, the Rebbe's father was arrested by the Soviets for being a rab and for spreading Torah and Yiddishkeit and all the other terrible things that he did. And he was sent for five years away to Gobbles, a very distant place in uh, Chile, where it was um, terrible, terrible conditions. He became very ill, and he was released after the five years, but passed away very shortly thereafter on the 20th of Av. <clears throat> we have today, we have um, five Svarim of his works, probably somewhere over here. This way. Oh, right there. See, to look after is Lakutia Levi Yitzchak and Tayrus Levi Yitzchak. Rabbi's father's name was Rabbi Levi Yitzchak. And how do we have those farim? So the Rebbe's father had was an incredible, prolific writer. But when he was arrested, so everything was confiscated and was destroyed probably by the Nazis when the Nazis came in and conquered the Dnieper Petrovsk in 1942. You know, oddly enough, probably his arrest actually saved his life in a certain way because he was sent away. All the Jews in the Nepal Petrovsk were massacred, I believe it was on Simchas Torah of 1941 or 1942, including the Rebbe's brother, who, who remained behind, who was killed by the Nazis. <clears throat> so, all his, all his writings were destroyed, with the exception when he went off into Golos, when he went off to this place far away, there's no Yidin, there's nothing over there. He had with him he had with him two Svarim. He had a Tanya and he had a Zoyar. And he wrote in the margins, he wrote his Chedushim, in the margins of the Tanya, the margins of the Zoyar. Um, with ink that was homemade, that his wife made for him. His wife went to, to the field and picked herbs, the Rebbe's mother, Rebbe Sunchana, and she cooked the herbs and, so he can have ink. And those Svarim were smuggled out of Russia. That Tanya and that Zayar. And that's what all these Chedushim are, just from the, those margins. And also, we have letters that he sent the Rebbe before he was arrested. Letters, long letters, full of Kabbalah, which he sent the letters. That's also a whole, uh, like a half a safer of the, the letters that we have. So from the little that we have, we realize how much, uh, how much we don't have and how much we lost. <clears throat> so to give, just give you an idea, we're talking about, he's a person incredible Baal Mesiras Nefesh. Um, he stood up to, to the Russians, the Russian authorities. He was the one who gave the Heksher on Matzah in the Soviet Union. Authorized by the government. But he was very strict. And the government wasn't happy because since everything was nationalized, all the businesses were nationalized. So when he was strict, if he would say that a certain uh, that some uh, flour or some wheat wasn't uh, can't be used, the, the government would lose money off it. But he stood firm, and he did not give in on any of his uh, standards. And he told the he told the people that if the he told the government people that if he's going to be forced to uh, lower his standards, he's going to send out a letter to all the Jews in the Ukraine, let them know that the matzah is not under his hashgacha, so people wouldn't buy it. And the Russians actually caved in. So he was arrested, and um, he was arrested in Nissan of 1939, and he didn't see his wife for 10 months. There his mother. And then when the first time, well, they called in the Rebbe's mother and they told her that your husband has been sent away five years and you're going to get to see him once before he's sent away. Later she joined him where he was. Yeah. So she got to see him for the first time in ten months, but they were separated by, uh, by uh, bars or by uh, some sort of cage. And she walks in, she writes about this uh, afterwards, she walked in not having seen her husband in 10 months, she saw right away immediately how his health had deteriorated and suffered from the terrible conditions in prison. And the first words that he said to her, this wasn't Kislev, <clears throat> after not seeing her for 10 months, the first words he said to her, oh, it's so good that you're here, please tell me. Is Kislev this year 29 days or 30 days? I need to know for Hanukkah. That was, uh, that was what was on his head. That was the first thing that he could think of asking was uh, but to make sure that he knows... Uh, Although I'm not sure how that's relevant for Hanukkah, but I guess it's relevant for Ashkodesh, when Ashkodesh is. So, to continue on the theme of today's shir, 
Um, in terms of Avas Yisrael and seeing every Yid for our Neshama, I want to tell you two things from Rebbe Yitzhak. One is a story and one is a vart. And this uh, should be Le'ili Nishmasa in honor of his Yartzeit, which is coming up on Shabbos. <coughs> so in terms of the story, the Rebetzin, Rebetzin Chana, his wife, we told that 1935, so one night, it was towards the evening, there's a knock on the door. And uh, in comes a lady. The lady says, she wants to speak to the rabbi, she tells the rabbi that she has a daughter and a son-in-law. And they, are, they have high positions in the Russian government. And either they're getting married or they just get married civilly. And she is really, really insistent that they get married with a chuppah. And they agreed only on the condition if it's by you in your house with absolutely no, you know, with uh, nothing else and no one finds out about it. And they'll be here tonight at midnight. The chassan of the kal will be here at midnight. So Levi says, okay. And it's late at night, and this is Russia in 1935. People aren't running around at night. But he went, he called, he did At midnight, when the Hassan and Kala arrived, there are nine, there are nine years. You need a tenth. So what, did the Rebbe, so what did the Rebbe's father do? What did Rebbe Yitzhak do? In every single building, there was a, a, there was a government informer. And in the building where Ablevi Yitzhak lived, the government informers, his special job was to keep an eye on Ablevi Yitzhak, to make sure that he doesn't do anything illegal, no religious ceremonies or anything of that sort. And as was the case, sadly, often, this guy was a Yid. So Ablevi Yitzhak goes, knocks on his door, <laughs> and says, we need a center. Actually, he didn't say, he says, come with me, come to this house, he says, what do you want? He says, well, we're having a chuppah, we need a minion, and you're the 10th. The guy was in shock, absolute shock. <laughs> <coughs> but he stayed for the entire, he stayed, stayed, stayed for the entire thing, and by 1.30 in the morning, uh, the way Rebbe Sinchana describes it, the chuppah was over. The guy didn't speak the entire time, he went home, and no one who was there ever uh, suffered any, uh, anything, any consequences from that time. And that was Rebbe Yitzchak, we're talking in Tanya Perek about seeing another Yid for Neshama, realizing and even this Yid, who's a communist, who's an informer, and definitely uh, many of the things that we learned in Peyer Klan Beis applied to him, but from that second, he's still a Yid, and there's still a Neshama, and that not only he has a Neshama, but as we said earlier, but the Neshama actually expresses itself in the person, therefore he trusted that it would be fine, and Ataka was fine. So that's, uh, that's a story. <clears throat> in terms of the, of the Vartar, to be honest, if you were to open up for a second, one of the summer of Levi Yitzhak, you'd realize, uh, you'd feel very inadequate. We're talking about uh, hardcore Kabbalah. It was a very, a very big makubal, very difficult to understand a lot of the things that he said, although the Rebbe, every Shabbos, from when the book was printed, from this former printed, the Rebbe would explain one passage and, uh, and elaborate on one of the passages what his father, uh, what his father wrote. Every single, every, every Shabbos for bringing. But to, and the Rebbe would often say that because there was written in conditions where there wasn't paper and there wasn't ink, so he had to write everything very briefly, and therefore it's very, very hard to understand. Although there are some people who are Kabbalah who do understand, and there are certain pieces that are more understandable, but it's very deep Kabbalah. But one Vart, which is not in his Farim, but it was said over, repeated by someone who heard the Vart from him. And it's really connected also to this week's Parsha. And this week's Parsha talks about how Moshe broke the Luchis. And that takes us back to Parsha's Kisisa. We know that it says that Moshe broke the Luchis. And as described in this week's Parsha, Moshe says he went up and he begged Hashem for forgiveness. And in Kisisa, it says over there that Moshe turns to Hashem and told him, And now, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, then erase me from your Sefer. But as all the commentators on the Pasuk note, the wording is very strange. If you forgive them. But it doesn't say, doesn't end that, that clause. It says, now if you forgive their sins, and if you don't forgive them, erase me. It's, it, it comes across awkward. And different, Mepharshim have different uh, answers. But I believe Yitzhak said like this. The Moshe turns to Hashem and says, Whether you forgive their sin or whether or not, I want you to erase me from the Torah. Why? 
Because the reason why you had the thought of destroying the Eden, this is what Mesh is telling Hashem, was because you thought that I would replace them. If I was the reason, if I could be the reason why you would think of destroying the Eden, I don't care what you do, take me out of your safer. I, I, I feel so terrible of the fact that I, that I could have been the, the impetus for something of that sort, whether or not you forgive their sins, even if you forgive them. I want you to remove me. That is the Mesirah Snefesh of Moshe and the Avas Yisrael of Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu, we had over there the Yidin who worshipped the Eagle. And uh, still, Moshe went to bat for them with incredible Mesirah Snefesh and incredible Avas Yisrael, which is really a live illustration of everything they were talking about in this period. You can have a Yid and you can do an Avera, and there can be the hatred for that. And as we know, Moshe comes down and he's angry at them, and he's upset, and he screams at them. There's no question that he was angry. But at the same time, that didn't impact the fact that there was that unconditional love which caused Moshe Rabbeinu to make this incredible statement of Mesir HaSnafesh, Bim Ayin Mechenyin HaMesir HaSnafesh. Rechabbets, everyone. Hey,